We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You are listening to The Uncontested, an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy Pete. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. Hello. We got a new intro. Shout out to our friend of the pod, Jacob Silva, on Twitter. He's at JD Silva for putting that together for us. Uh, if any of our listeners need cool audio stuff, go hit up uh, go hit up Silva. I guess he's really good at that stuff. He has nothing else better to do. Um, I don't even have to introduce <laughs> anybody because the intro did it, and that's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Uh, so without further distraction, uh, I do have somebody to introduce because we have a very special guest on with us today. We're super excited. Uh, you can see his work at Chartside. Uh, you can hear him on Monday Mondays on the Down to Dunk podcast episodes. All the way from over in Italy, we have Mikey Barra. Hey guys, how are you it's, doing, Mikey? It's hello. Great, well, it's a great pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you for inviting me on, and we should have a lot of fun today. What uh, time yeah. is it in Italy right now? Uh, it's three p.m. in okay. the afternoon, and the sun is up. So okay. great day. Nice, nice. nice. So I'm gonna do like this super like awkward small talk thing. What's the weather like in Italy today? Today it's great. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's awesome. It's such. Actually, much warmer than what it used to be in March. Oh, nice. So, very Good. nice. How often do you see gondolas? Oh, almost <laughs> never. Wrong part of Italy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's actually like four hours uh, from uh. my place, Venice. Uh, I've been there a couple of times, but it's it's not a daily thing. 
Interesting. <laughs> That's kind of like people asking Oklahomans if they like ride their horse to work and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and live in teepees. Yeah. Just yeah. curious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't even think I've ever ridden a horse before. I have. Really? I don't think so. That's a shame. <laughs> it's fun. I did that. Yeah. I've never ridden a horse either. Oh, yeah, so wow. me, me wow. and Nick are in the same Uncontested boat. horseback riding retreat. Let's get <laughs> it on the books. Hey. I, uh, I would be game for that. All right. We have a lot to talk about today. We are going to talk about uh, the Thunder versus Brooklyn game, uh, the back-to-back with the Pacers. Talk about the defense a bit. Paul George seeding coming down the stretch. Uh, we'll take a trip around the association, and we have a very special pop culture minute. We're also going to preview tonight's Oklahoma City versus Golden State Warriors game, okay. which is always a fun one. Okay. So I'm going to toss it over to Kamyar, let him, uh, let him take us for a ride. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. So Thunderbolts. So let's talk about the Thunder beating the Brooklyn Nets as OKC was down early. And it looked like another horrid night, especially at home with Spencer Dinwiddie completely cutting up every part of OKC's defense. And they flipped the switch on Brooklyn, beating them 108 to 96, holding Brooklyn to like their low, one of their lowest uh scoring outlets in a while because they they were on a, like a four or five game win streak so what are you guys thoughts on the thunder beating brooklyn especially with the defense coming in really handy holding them to 96 points i think it was one of those games where uh it really showed that brooklyn doesn't really have that star power uh, in which you can just you know keep a lead or flip the switch whatever it may be you know d'angelo russell had a bad game and I just think, you know, our guys stepped up when they needed to. And it just one of those games where we uh, we beat them with star power. That's yeah. it. It's interesting you bring that up, Nick, because I actually was going to bring that up as well. Like not only was the defense pretty, uh, pretty solid, uh, really for the entire game, but, you know, we really struggled offensively in the first half. And then, you know, I was even concerned. I think I was on Twitter. Uh, Mikey, you probably saw a lot of. Uh, Thunder Twitter uh, talking about how Paul George may be hurt. You know, he was apparently putting heat mm-hmm. on his his opposite shoulder. Um, I was concerned that he might actually be a little banged up, and then he just turned it on in the second half, and that really was kind of game changer for us. Yeah, I think that um, together with that, the the way that Russ established himself on defense to start the third really changed the way that the other guys on the team uh, play defense as well. Because yeah, I mean. The the first half, I think, if if you saw like the first two three possessions of the game, you can already see it coming. Uh, the way uh, the, the the lead of Brooklyn because they weren't engaged, they were a tad slow, and so when when Russ goes um, in that way on defense, uh, the team follows. And um, and yeah, when you have a team like Brooklyn where you don't really have a guy that can put you into trouble. Uh, except for Dean Weedy, who is good but not like, not great. Um, I think I think a team like like OKC, when they play together on defense, they they can get the better of teams like that. Yeah, yeah totally. I think that's a great point. And I thought too that Westbrook's offensive game in the third quarter was pretty fantastic as well. He he seemed to be one of the only guys bringing energy in the first half. Uh, the mm-hmm. Thunder were kind of struggling and. He was, you know, typical Russ, but it was almost like there were times where it was like a little bit of bad energy, like when Russell gets too fired up and his motor's mm-hmm. running a little too high and he maybe makes some mistakes. But in the third quarter, it was kind of like 
a microcosm of what you want to see from Russ and kind of where we've seen his game evolving to this season, which is like controlled chaos, I think is kind of a good way to think about it. Mm -hmm. And his passing was like, was very uh, different from the first half to the second. Um, I thought that he was contagious in terms of the way he gave the ball to Terrence, for example. And uh, again, when, when he, when he's able to pair uh, his passing game with his defense, and to be to be fair, he shot the ball perfectly. Like yep. when you when you get Russ shooting that, I, I'm a, I'm not against uh, the three point shooting. I may be one of the few, but I I don't hate it, uh, especially if it comes instead of some mid range shot. And so when he has it like that, uh, and it brings it again, passing defense, and and he has the touch from outside, this team is a tough out. Very so much I, I so. mentioned. I mentioned Paul George uh, the first half kind of being concerned that mm-hmm. um, that he may be a little banged up. I almost kind of felt the same way about Steven. I felt he kind of had a slow first half against Brooklyn. And then you mentioned Russ and his passing and, and getting teammates engaged. And I, I thought he really started to look for Steven in the second half. And, and you know that kind of changed the, the tide for OKC as well. Um, and I noticed in the Pacers game as well, which I know we'll jump into here in a second, I thought Russ did a, a really good job looking for Steven down low and, and kind of getting him engaged early on, which I think is huge for us. I'm just gonna blame the Nets for going into a zone in the NBA. Yeah, um, you you could tell. That's what I wanted to touch on. Is you could tell in that in that second half, especially the fourth quarter. I mean, there were three separate plays when Russ subbed back in in the fourth quarter, where he would get that zone leaning just a bit. He would penetrate, draw Jarrett Allen over. And then just had Adams on the backside yeah. for a wide open alley oop. Because they're all ball watching. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, that that's obviously the idea of the zone, yeah. right? Is you always have your eyes on the ball. And I thought Russ's passing, Mikey, you kind of brought it up. I thought Russ's passing was was phenomenal in the second half. I thought he he was in one of those offensive grooves where he was looking to pass first, and he was really in his bag. He was he was finding guys. He was dropping off really nice passes. Not only those alley oops to to Steven, but he was like penetrating and like already knew where he was going to pass. Cause he already knew where the defense was going to collapse when he penetrated. And so when he can do that, and like you said, also uh, shoot 50% from three uh, and threes that are kind of in the flow of the offense, not forced like dribble up 18 seconds left on the shot clock threes. When he can take mm-hmm. those in the offense threes and then also be passing like that. Yeah. He's um, he's, he's, really damn good offensively. I feel pretty good about a Russ three-pointer when he just jumps right into it. It's in rhythm and in flow mm-hmm. much more than taking three jab steps and says, well, I guess I can do this. Yeah, the and jab steps, the, the ones where he uh, he pump fakes and then shoots it or the ones yeah. that he dribbles in, those are the ones that worry me. But those ones where he can just catch and fire off of solid ball movement and they're in the in the flow of the offense, I think those are, are really good shots. And in... 2019's NBA, you have to take those, right? You have See, to at least, the, at least put the threat of that into the defense. The the thing with the zone, um, when you when you run zone, you you know going into it, you're going to give up two things, and that's three pointers and offensive rebounds. And obviously, the Thunder are great at offensive rebounding, and at times they're good at three point shooting. So if you can just capitalize on those two things that the zone always gives up. I mean, you're obviously going to have offensive success, and I think that's just what happened on the stretch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The two-three zone has that that issue, and um, I think that 
the three-point shooting of Russ uh, was crucial also because of that. If you play zone and you're able to sag off, like, I don't know, three, four feet, um, then Russ becomes much more guardable. Instead, in the, especially in the second half of the game, uh, the defense had to adjust a bit because Russ was having it. And, and you described it perfectly. I mean, Jared Allen has to come up a bit. And that frees up the space for Steven. And the other way in which OKC attach, uh, attack the, the zone defense is the classic one. You use the eye post. Uh, I like the use of the eye post, especially if you have um, like a power forward or a guy that can attack from that, like that can either jump, uh, make a jump shot or make a pass. Like if you have Dirk Nowitzki, you cannot play zone. A, because he's a great shooter. B, because if you feed him in the eye post and you play regular zone defense, you are dead. Against OKC, like, against OKC, I don't think that that uh, kind of defense is bad, especially because Grant is not as reliable as a passer out of the eye post. But I think that uh, against, the, against the net, he, he was not that bad. I mean, he had one or two passes in the corner. Then one time was um, Deontay Burton using the eye post and it didn't end up I think it was uh, another corner three generated. So, out of out of the uh, possession against the zone, I think the OKC would, did pretty well uh, against Brooklyn. Yeah, I also thought the Thunder found in that second half ways to attack the zone. Whereas, again, we kind of talked talked about how in the zone you you typically have to watch the ball, right? And you rotate mm-hmm. uh, based off of that. The Thunder found a lot of success running an action on one side of the court and then getting a cutter on the other side of the court. Uh, which resulted yep. in in layups a few times. Um, one that comes to mind was uh, Terrence Ferguson drove and had that dish to to Deontay Burton, who was at about the free throw line, and then Deontay yep. drove and had that that kind of that clutch, uh, the double clutch, the up and under layup. Um, so I, I thought they they were able to find ways to to attack that way as well. Um, one guy I wanted to talk about before we move on from this game, uh, a guy that, that kind of surprised me and I thought I really saw some, some physical evidence of his growth this season during that Brooklyn game was Abdul Nader. I, I was going to bring that up as well. I thought defensively point. he looked well. Uh, and there were two plays offensively that back in late December, early January, I don't think Nader makes. Um, they were both passes to Noel off of uh, Nader catching the ball at the perimeter and driving. The first one he caught the perimeter, he drove. Uh, the big man stepped up, and Nader like kind of read that like from the very beginning. And as soon as the big man stepped up, he tossed a, a little alley oop to to Nerlens uh, who who dunked it. And then the other one, he drove again. I think they were both drives off the left wing, going with his right hand. Uh, the big sunk down to protect the rim, um, which was enabled Nader to get in between the big man and Nerlens, and Nader tossed it to Nerlens at about the the free throw line, who stepped in and and shot a little floater that missed. But those were were two drive and passes from Nader that I don't know if I've seen this season from him, and I thought were were impressive and kind of indicative of his growth this season. Were you? More surprised about the pass or the fact that Noel catched the the ball flawlessly. <laughs> yeah, um, that That's that so was true. like you know you know the saying even a broke clock is right twice a day. I think I think that's what the, what that was. Nader made the good pass and Noel caught it. Like that's a win win scenario, man. Yeah, but I, no, I I thought I I was pretty impressed with Nader. I think his his defense 
hasn't been awful, right? I think it's like below league average for a wing. Um, but you, you can tell the effort is there. Um, and and if if he can keep developing, I, I think this you just file this under another um, Billy Donovan player development thing. Right. Yeah. He, he's got Terrence Ferguson. He's got Jeremy Grant. He's got, you know, a little bit of Steven Adams. Now he's got Abdul Nader. Uh, I think you can just see that these guys under Billy Donovan, young guys get better and better and better as the year goes on. I think he's his play lately. He's heading towards potentially earning playoff minutes, not big minutes by any by any means. But I think, you know, for a long time, we probably assumed that Patrick Patterson would get some playoff minutes like he's kind of that next guy in the rotation. But I think what we've seen, you know, over the last month or two is, excuse me, it's obvious that Patterson's probably not going to get playoff minutes. But I think as you look at the rotation, you know, Noel's going to get those minutes Schroeder's obviously going to get a lot of minutes. And that next guy, I think, is probably Abdul Nader. It's going to be really awkward when Marquise Morris, Morris is no longer on the team and Patterson opts into his contract and has to play those minutes again. <laughs> yeah, that will be a little bit weird. All right, you guys ready to move on to the Pacers game? Yes. That sounds like a yes <laughs> to me. <laughs> It was the exact opposite of the Brooklyn game. OKC was actually stomping on their throats for the most part during the game, even like pushing the lead to, like, what, 17, 18 points? Yeah, 19 at one point. And then I took a nap, and I woke up, and OKC had lost by two points. And I was like, well, that sucks. So what in the world happened here in comparison to the Brooklyn game? Did OKC just shut it off, or did they just keep on fouling, which is what they've been doing for the past four or five games? Well, they definitely kept on fouling, but I think that's kind of indicative of being tired on the second night of a back-to-back. I think we really kind of saw them, uh, kind of saw their legs start to start to get heavy. We were fouling a lot. We weren't really moving our feet on defense, <clears throat> and our offense struggled as well. But when you get the Pacers, I mean, what was it, like 20-something free throws, I think, in the third quarter? Uh, that's tough. <laughs> and not only that, but when you're fouling like that, it really – kind of slows down the pace of play and as we've talked about a lot on this podcast you know that's when the thunder are at their best when they're getting deflections and steals and they're pushing the pace um transition offense and it felt like they were doing that a lot the first half but yeah second half felt like uh heavy legs lots of fouling took their foot off the gas a bit and then demontis sabonis happened and something that surprised me is on the second night of a back-to-back like you mentioned heavy legs you're a little bit tired uh, your shot, your shot naturally starts, you know, falling a little bit short. And on the second night of a back-to-back, uh, you, it's typically a little bit tougher to consistently hit threes. And the Thunder shot forty-six point seven percent from three in that game, and it, it which surprisingly wasn't enough. Yep, yep. I thought uh, something else that was interesting was uh, we still held the Pacers to thirty-one point eight percent from three. So, the, and, and then also just, you know, they only shot, I think 45%, which isn't, I mean, obviously that's a pretty decent number, but they still only shot 45% from the field overall. So I thought the defense was, was pretty solid up into really just that third quarter when we started fouling, getting tired. Yeah, definitely. So Mikey, I know you just recently, uh, finished watching the replay of this game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, the fouling was, uh, was big. I mean, uh, not just the fouling on Domus, but I, I thought there were some silly fouls, um, like unnecessary fouls. Like one that comes to my mind was one that Schroeder made on um, 
uh, Bogdan- on Bogdanovic. He was like, I think, 20 feet from the basket. Um, he's back to the basket, and he just fouled him, like for no reason. Like you can you can try to to defend a post up. He wasn't even getting the ball at the time of the foul. So there were some careless foul in the bonus, like with the game on the line, and um, and yeah, that that was big. The other thing was I think that Billy left. This is the only thing that I think I can blame on Billy was to to leave Terrence Ferguson to the bench um, up until the last possession, I think, uh, or the last two possessions. Uh, I think that you you have to play him like a little bit more in the fourth quarter. Like he has five fouls. Who cares? I mean, the the worst thing that can happen, he made his six and you play Dennis the rest of the way. But you have at least to try because with Ferguson on the court, the defense is different. And um, down the line, I think that when you when you need defense and you need a little bit more of size, especially against a guy like uh, Wes Matthews, you need to play guys like that. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, like all that uh, third quarter issues were concentrated in two minutes like up until the minutes number eight or nine the the offense was still working they were up 15 and then they just stopped for too many possessions Uh, but it was like a two-minute thing i think that if okc doesn't get caught in that um, uh, and uh, ends up the quarter say plus 12 plus 13 the game is over and instead uh, Corey joseph made that three and the game is uh is completely changed the the momentum i I think that's i completely agree i so why do you think billy left ferguson out because i've been thinking uh, a little bit about why he decided to to run with dennis schroeder down the stretch um any besides like what you said you know ferguson has five fouls um why do you think he he elected schroeder over ferguson in that situation one reason is that when Billy sees that the offense is not working, um, he tries to put as many ball handlers as he can uh, in the game. And um, OKC scored just 18 points in the fourth. And so he probably thought, well, if I leave another creator on the floor, and um, Ferg has been better at that, but he's not clearly at the level of uh, Dennis Schroeder in terms of uh, creation for himself and for others. I think that this is why Billy leans to um, to Schroeder in um, in those minutes. And um, I, I don't think it's a, it's a good choice when you have a team that has size because then he struggles. And um, so putting a guy that is 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, like Terrence, can give you an edge. I totally agree. I I thought it was interesting that that they didn't bring Ferg back in. Uh, I thought you know the the Thunder slid Russ over to guard Wes Matthews down the stretch there and let let Dennis Schroeder guard the ball. I thought mm-hmm. you know worst case scenario you could even leave that matchup and just put Ferguson on on Darren Collison uh, and let yeah. him fight over those screens and at least give him that extra length uh, to bother mm-hmm. Darren Collison. But it was. It was kind of the the perfect storm for the Pacers to win this game. Like Paul George uh, steps out of bounds, then Paul George steals an entry pass and then gives it right back, and then Stephen Adams plays phenomenal defense on the switch with uh, with Bogdanovich at the end of the game. There contests him to where Bogdanovich like almost airballed that that jumper, um, and 
I think for the first time in a long time, I saw a guard get a rebound over Russell Westbrook and get a tip in for the game. But it was kind of just like everything that had to go right for the Pacers in those final two minutes kind of went right, it felt like. Including a couple missed calls. I don't know if you guys saw the last two-minute report, yeah. which always just drives me nuts. But they they talked about um, a missed call and an incorrect call down the stretch uh, that both went in the Pacers' favor. Yeah, that uh, the Miles Turner the screen. Miles screen. Yep, I'm Paul George. Yeah, yep. it, it yep. felt like George really, really wanted that call and kind of exaggerated the contact whenever he got hit with that screen. I don't know if that was just me that thought that. Um, but but it was a uh, pretty evident that uh, that Paul George wanted the call on that screen and uh, and didn't get it. Um, but you know I, I I don't like looking at the end of the game and saying like this one play is the reason they lost. You know when the game is forty eight minutes, I don't think you can pinpoint something in like the final thirty seconds. Like totally. Uh, you know if if the Thunder just don't foul and this isn't a complaint against the officials because the thunder were clearly committing fouls uh mm-hmm. if the thunder just don't foul as much in the third quarter they're probably fine right um if the thunder uh stop jumping on pump fakes by demontis sabonis uh the thunder probably win this game and so th- i think that's the the frustrating part about it is that this game was very very much in hand and it was just like you you could once it started to spiral out of control i felt like you could just kind of kind of see the wheels coming off it was just it was, you just knew like this isn't going to end well so i know we're trying to move along here but i feel like it wouldn't be right to uh to not touch on this with mikey mikey you want to talk a little bit on sabonis and his development i know you you've been really high on him ever since we, with that thunder drafted him and um you know i, I really think it's it's really interesting to to see his development, particularly with the Pacers, and to kind of see be able to see what Presti saw in him originally when he when he drafted him and and moved up in the draft to get Sabonis. Yeah, I think that this is uh, the post up Sabonis is the the version that I saw when he played in Gonzaga, and so playing for Gonzaga. So that version was always there. I mean, even with the Thunder, the problem, and I think that if you think about it this way, you can agree on why. Um, Billy Donovan used him, used, used Sabonis as he did, was because there was no playing time for him at the center that season. And being able to learn to play out of position, like to be a consistent threat uh, from three, being able to learn how to play defense together with another center were, was big on his development. I think that uh, for Indiana to be great, you either trade one between Turner or Sabonis, or you you need to play them together like they did against OKC down the stretch. And for Sabonis, having a, a year like the one in OKC was extremely beneficial. And um, I know that now it's easy to say, well, OKC screwed up with Sabonis. No, <laughs> they played him, which is extremely important for a rookie. They played him even if he was out of position. There's not many teams that, uh, that do that uh, with, um, with prospect. And so I think that that's a very good point. What I saw in Sabonis was a guy that with a great touch uh, because the free throw shooting was never an issue. And that was on full display last night. Um, He was a extremely hard worker that I know firsthand because his 
personal trainer is a good friend of mine. And so I, I know a ton about their training session. And I love the IQ. I love the way that he was good on defense from day one. Like he was reading the defense. Sometimes you are not as physically gifted as other players. And so even if you make the correct read, you cannot um, contest the shot as well as other can. But Thomas, Thomas was doing all the right things on defense from day one in OKC. And that was, um, that was why it was so high. And um, I'm, I'm really glad that he's uh, showing what he can do uh, on offense in Indiana. So going forward, besides the Pacers game where OKC held the um, held Indiana to 45% from the field, 32% from three, prior to that game, Oklahoma City held its last four opponents to 40% from the field and 30% from three. So is this defense, because we've been talking about how early on he's in OKC was like competing with like what, Boston for the top two, three defensive teams in the league, and then they've sunk back down to where and it was like kind of coincidingly with their three-point shooting was going up, their defensive, you know, rotations, and their defensive stats were going down. And could we be saying the defense is finally coming back as far as being more consistent? I think it's an interesting question. Um I think you can you can clearly see a, a divide from the the Minnesota game on the road and then they went to Portland. I think since that Portland game, even though Portland and, and L.A., they fouled a lot, I think since that Portland game, you, you can clearly see that the, the, the defense has, has been better. And I think a lot of that is just effort at the point of attack um, and rotations, really. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? It's definitely better than, than what it has been. And I think that Minnesota game, like you said, is a good turning point. What I want to see is just consistency throughout a game. And I know that, you know, it's impossible in the NBA with what you're having to do and kind of the amount of effort that it takes to play good defense, especially in Billy's system. It's impossible to ask these guys to give, you know, 100% effort on every play. But I think what I'd like to see more of is consistency from quarters one through four to where we don't have big stretches, uh, where where we're fouling a lot, where we're kind of getting a little lazy with activity, which leads to more fouls. I think having, I just want the Thunder to have a game where it seems like they're locked in from the get-go to the final whistle, because I think this team could blow th- blow teams out if they're able to unlock that. And it's something that we see over and over. Either the Thunder go up big and they let the other team back into it, or they start off a little disengaged and get down big and then fight their way back in. At some point, they're going to be able to be consistent from beginning to end. And hopefully that that sometime is in the playoffs. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's still an effort thing at points. And, and I know it's tough to sit there and play tough defense for an entire game because it is tiring. I mean, if, if you're if you're running on defense and you're really giving effort on defense the entire game, like you're going to feel it in your legs. You're going to be tired a lot more quickly than if you just play on the offensive end and they're lazy on defense. So at some point, and, and like you said, the playoffs will probably be you know a good time to do it because of the sense of urgency. But at some point, um, you know, from top to bottom on this roster, the team will say we've got to strap up and we've got to play 
you know, tough D and give effort the entire game if we're going to get wins. And when they finally decide to do that, you know, we're going to be really, really tough to beat on a seven-game series. So one thing you guys keep bringing up here that I'm hearing a lot and I agree with is, you know, consistency, um, effort. And that reminds me of something that HP Basketball, uh, Matt Moore over at the Action Network, brought up yesterday that I thought was really interesting. And I'm really kind of curious to get McKelly's take on this. But he went on a, a small little Twitter rant um, and had a thread talking about how it's you don't really pay attention to March basketball. Um because the post all-star break, he called it a slog. <laughs> you know, teams aren't, you're not quite at the playoff push yet, but you're waiting for it. Um, guys are hurt. And he said that, that teams are playing vanilla. And he said there's, there's even studies that he's seen that point to November and January actually being better indicators than March basketball. But I think as fans, we kind of get this perception that we're that much closer to the playoffs. You know, the playoffs are next month. Therefore, teams should be rounding into their final form, uh, giving full effort. They should be playing, you know, kind of like the Rockets. They should, they should be peaking at the right time where the Thunder kind of haven't been. Um, but I thought that was really interesting and a, and a good point from Matt. You know, teams, we may be closer to the, to the playoffs, but – there's still a flip that can be switched come playoff time, and it doesn't have to be March. A flip that can be switched. <laughs> a flip that can be switched. A switch that can be flipped. Thank you. <laughs> I like the other version Dude. better, personally. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, yeah, what are your I thoughts mean, on the defense? I mean, uh, defense and then the uh, Matt Moore take. I think that on the defensive side, um, I get the, the scream for consistency and... Um, and I believe that is a great point because if you if you can be consistent uh, on your peak defense, which we we know that this team has it, then yeah, you can blow out teams. And I agree, it's rotation, it's uh, being aware of um, like one of the hardest thing of the defensive um, scheme of Billy is understanding when to leave the corner and when to go to to the help and this is most of the time is either um, one of the ball handlers that has to do the rotation the final rotation or jeremy grant or the like the power forward when when jeremy is on with his reads this defense is great and the same goes with the uh, shooter and russ and the other point is being able to held uh, to hold on a switch and last last night, well, no, two nights two nights ago, I thought that Russ, especially Russ, did a great job on uh, on Tad Young. He got switched. I counted like six times, five or six times, and he held his own. And um, and so I think that they are getting there uh, more often than not in the last um, week in terms of uh, defensive consistency. And I think it's good to to be. Um, since they have to rack up win you know, on a hard schedule, I know that teams are playing vanilla, and uh, I completely agree. But on, on a certain sense, it's good to have a weak schedule at the end because of that. Because if you have a weak schedule like Utah at the end, then you can really go on a run. Portland did it last season. Utah did it last season. Um, and so for OKC to have a hard schedule, they cannot allow themselves to be vanilla. And I think that they realize uh, that this is the case, and they are showing... Uh, at least the the past week or so, that they can bring it to a different level of defense, even if the uh, the rest of the NBA doesn't. Um, so, and the same goes on the opposite. So, if you have an easy schedule at the beginning, it's not as easy because there's like a team like Phoenix was playing for something at the beginning. They were trying to see what they what they had, and um, the first two months you don't see teams tanking, while you are seeing that now. 
And so, yeah, if you have a hard schedule at the beginning and then an easy at the end, like Utah, you have a double advantage. So I can I can kind of agree with what Matt says, and I agree um, with many teams. I don't think that OKC is playing vanilla, especially last week. I, I'm I'm sure they were playing vanilla defense uh, uh, against uh, Minnesota and before. Yeah, definitely. So so before we move on, two things that you just said there that I kind of wanted to touch on. Um, number one was you know the fact that in the the beginning of the season teams like uh like phoenix teams like atlanta they're not trying to tank they're they're trying to see what they have um i think it's interesting because now coming down the stretch run i think the opposite is also kind of true Mm -hmm. as far as like the thunder play milwaukee the final game of the season um does Milwaukee is Milwaukee going to have any reason to have guys like Middleton and Bledsoe and Giannis out on the court that night? You know, so yeah. Uh, so even no, that, though the, th- the Thunder schedule, you know, by opponents' wins and losses is good, uh, and it's a, like a really difficult schedule. Um, games like that, I, I think, are interesting because that might end up actually being a, a much easier game than it it should be because Milwaukee might not play anybody. The last game, yes, I completely agree. Yep. But Toronto is not that behind, so Milwaukee can be okay of leaving the last two or three games of the season, but it's just those three games. Yeah, exactly. So, um, exactly. The, the last week of the season, I completely agree. But we get Houston, which uh, I don't think they will let the game on. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like Lakers that game's going to be going to be seeding purposes you know that's going to be a really fun game in oklahoma city yeah. because it's it des- definitely will have seeding implications kind of like a playoff preview in a way yeah know? two the, playoff uh, teams the other thing that that mikey that you just said that uh, i wanted to bring up uh with the exception of ben simmons is there any guard in the nba that you trust getting switched onto a big in the post uh more than russell westbrook that's that's a good question i think that there are plenty that i trust uh like russ is good when engaged russ is good but so is james harden for weird reasons yeah Um, that's true this is the only probably it's the only part of his defense that is really uh, above average the post defense another one is west matthews he is kind of good against switches he was great when he was healthy. Um, and there are surely many of others. But yeah, Russ is good. Russ is up there with the best in terms of uh, when he wants to do that. Um, he can be he can be good on switches because he's he's a he's a freak physically. So yeah, I feel like Russ like feeds off that physicality of post defense. you know I, I feel mm-hmm. like he almost takes you know perimeter defense is more about uh, about foot speed. And like fighting over screens, whereas post defense is a lot more like being physical. And I, I think we've seen throughout his career that Rush just uh, he he really thrives off off of physicality. And so I think that's uh, that's fun to watch is whenever he gets switched onto a guy like Thad Young, because he just mm-hmm. wants to outmuscle him. He just wants to prove that he's stronger. And yeah. so it it, it kind of becomes a fun like game within the game almost. And so speaking of Russ, I mean, since the All-Star break, because the entire year, right, people have been talking about Russ, and now, wow, he looks like really bad. And, oh, man, Russ is aging. It's his knees already. And then people are just completely ignoring that. Like, he's had PRP injections. He's had multiple ankle things. And all of a sudden, All-Star break comes along, and Russ is suddenly averaging nearly 30 points, 48% from the field. And about 38% from three. 
He's also averaging those 10 rebounds and almost eight assists per game to really make sure he gets that triple-double for the third year in a row. So what do we think about Russ finally rounding into form and is it finally shutting the haters up besides the ones in Utah? That Utah stuff's a mess. Um, yeah. Uh, he's. I think it's simple as he's found the shot. You know, he's... When, when the shot is falling for Russ, he becomes much, much, much more dangerous. Uh, so he's found a shot, and I feel like I don't have stats in front of me. I can't back this up. But I feel like early on in the season, for a long stretch, Russ was struggling to finish when he got to the rim. And I feel like he's back to that nearly automatic uh, he'll finish whenever he gets to the rim. And I think those two things are, are absolutely massive. If, if Russ can play at this level and PG can kind of round into in, back into form from before the shoulder injury. Uh, I don't think anybody wants to play this team in the playoffs. Anybody else have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're right uh, on the um, um, on the percentage of shots at the rim he had like the first few games back from the first injury where he was great at the rim but then after the ankle injury he really struggled um i was trying to to search for um stats but it's it's hard to do uh, while talking and so i might screw up so no, i will not fine. do it I, I will not do that but um i'm positive that the first Again, in the first game of the season, he was like shooting 60, 60 plus at the rim. Then he, then he went down and um, and he's up again. And and you can tell it from the eye test that some of the layups that he used to do uh, while running at the rim in transition uh, and stuff like that, he was struggling a lot with that. And now we are not seeing that anymore, um, at least the past two weeks like after also break russ is having a great offense um offensive spurt so i mean i never um i never try to predict the decline of a player because i think it's really pointless these athletes are are different from the ones that we're accustomed to because like sport medicine and stuff like that are changing by the day uh, and it's pointless to say, like, they sign a contract uh, for five years, so it will be bad because um, Russ will decline. Or even at the early, in the early part of the season when Chris Paul uh, was having issues on staying on the court, I even said, like, if this is the version of Chris Paul, they have to be in trouble. But you never know. And comes February, Chris Paul is back at playing at a very high level. So these are probably the... 10 to 20 best at least players of the world. How can you tell about the decline? Or how, could, how could you infer about the decline um, of uh, physical freaks like that? Exactly. And with how they take care of their bodies now, uh, with yeah. like modern sports science, you know, I, you always hear like LeBron sp spends like over a million dollars a year on his body, you know, and that's why... Uh, He's he's been able. I mean, it always blows my mind that LeBron and Carmelo Anthony are the same age, because yeah. I'm not sure if Melo can touch the net anymore, where LeBron's yeah. still getting his head <laughs> above the rim for dunks. You know, did you guys so, see that like, picture that he posted? Um, you know, he had that dunk. I think it was against who was it? I I don't know, but anyways, it, it was like 
of him, one of his first couple seasons in the league, basically doing the same exact dunk that he did here a couple nights ago. And it was almost identical. Like, it was incredible. It was yeah. up on his Instagram. But you're right. His his athletic ability and how he's been able to maintain his body is just next to none. I'm sure for LeBron, part of it's just, you know, insane genetics. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, like you said, the it, it's almost impossible to predict those types of things because of um, the way – all, all the the research and the ways you can take care of your body now, um, you know, like the, the the careers, the longevity has has really gone up. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. Um, let's talk about seating a bit. Kamiar, uh, where are where are the Thunder um, as of this morning? Well, they're currently sitting at fifth in the West, which is half a game behind Portland. And they are, what would they be, like a full uh, a game and a half behind the Rockets, I believe, and then two games ahead of the Spurs. So, I mean... And they the Spurs are one team that they do not have the tiebreaker over. Correct. Is that correct? That's correct. Because the Spurs have beat them two out of three times, I believe. So, here's the, here's the deal. Of, like, the 9 of 13 games that's about to transpire... Nine of those 13 teams are all vying for playoff contention. They're already in the playoff seeding tree. So, that being said, where do you think the Thunder end up? And what about the West? The rest of the Western Conference? The Western Conference is wild. Um, when you look at the East, you can definitely see one through eight. There are these tiers, right? Milwaukee and Toronto are within three games of each other. Um, Philly, the Pacers, and Boston are all within two games of each other. And then there's a massive drop-off to Pistons, Nets, Miami. Uh, They're all within three games of each other, but the Pistons are like seven games behind Boston. So there's like these three very identifiable tiers in the top eight of the East, where when you look at the West, it's just a damn bloodbath. Like there there is no separation like at all you know the clippers are seven and a half games out of the first place golden state warriors um (laughs) and and everyone is just like neck and neck and so i think a lot of fans stress out like game after game of like oh where are we at in the standings now this shit's gonna change so much that's gonna be so hard to keep track of um we're not gonna know until the final day of the season uh, where a lot of these West teams are going to be matched up at. I have a question. Yeah. Do you think, what do you guys think is more likely OKC gets the three seed or OKC gets the, let's say seven seed, seven seed, 100%. Wow. Uh, I'm going to say three seed. I'm going to say three as well. Mikey, what do you think? I don't think that they can drop as much. Um, and now that I said it, it's probably going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm knocking it, on wood hard. right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's hard to get to seven. If you said six, I would have said six uh, yeah. immediately. Just because they have the tiebreaker against Portland and Utah. And it's, it's hard to, to, to go down um, to seven. And so... Um, yeah, if you, the, the likelihood it's it's a bit more uh, on the three seed, mainly because they can secure um, the the tiebreaker against Houston 
as well. They are ahead in the um, they are two one if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And so yep. in a tie, it, it is likely that at least two of those teams are in a tie, two or three. And so OKC has a good advantage, even if they don't have the tiebreaker against San Antonio. Um, they, they have wins against all the playoffs team in the West, which is great, which is the probably the best thing that OKC did during the season. Another thing on the East, um, the, the, the real difference is also that there is a team in the West. I cannot see Sacramento or Minnesota get into the, in the playoff spot. Whereas in the East, we have still uh, Orlando and Charlotte Yep. That are one game um, out of the playoffs as of today. So, in the West, it will be the seeding. In the East, it will be who gets in and who gets out. Definitely. I really thought that Sacramento could have made a push to get in whenever we came out of the, the All-Star break, which has really got to be like a worst-case sac- uh, scenario for Sacramento. Like, you almost made the playoffs but you didn't, and now your lottery pick is probably going to be number 14. You know, they don't I, have oh, it, it, it's not theirs, I think. Is that, I, yeah, it's it's protected and it goes to Philadelphia. Is that correct? I was gonna say, yeah, I think it conveys to that. That sounds right. If they would have drafted Luka Doncic, they'd be in the playoffs right now. <laughs> that is, uh, <laughs> That is probably very, very true. Okay, so a few questions about, about the Western Conference. Um, I want everyone to tell me who gets the one seed. Warriors. Yeah, it's the Warriors. Taylor, you I, agree? I don't, yep, I don't see Denver uh, making a push. Nick, are you still here? What do you think? Oh, oh, I guess Nick <laughs> left. Nick had some some out of some out of town friends coming in, so he probably had to hop off. Justin. Um Hey, Denver's only – oh, Justin, did you say – did you give us an answer? <laughs> yeah, I agree too. You know, it's the kind of thing where, yes, they're they're 5-5 five and five in their last 10, but it's obvious when this team is locked in and when they're not, and I think they'll probably do just enough to hold on to that one seed, and that's really all they care about. Yep. Uh, I'm just saying, though, Denver's uh, only a game behind. So it, it, True. Is, it is kind of interesting. Uh, who, gets th- who gets the three seed? Houston. I'm going with Houston as well. They're playing really well right now. And they don't have a hard schedule. All right, yep. Yep. In the season. I think Very I think true. I said this the other day, like what, three of their thirteen games are against teams that are in playoff contention, so it's not exactly a tough sledding ahead for them. Hmm. Uh yep. I'm yeah. in the same group. And uh yeah, I don't think there there's really a uh a conversation to be had for um, that eight seed because I don't think Sacramento can jump up, but I think the back end there of San Antonio, Utah and the Clippers uh, will be interesting. It will definitely be interesting. Uh, San Antonio on a seven game win streak. It's uh, a, that's surprising. Yeah, they were, they were 33 and 29. Now they're 40 and 29. So that's a, that's a pretty big jump. They're just a team that you can never count out with Popovich, you know, he, yeah. it was kind of like, they've been the forgotten team all season, but then all of a sudden you look at the standings now and it's like, Oh yeah, they're, they're here right they, in the thick of things yeah, again. Here they are. Um, they I, don't have an easy schedule. Uh, they have Portland, Golden State at Houston at Boston and they have Denver and yeah, they have, uh, well, that's about it. So God. they have six really hard games. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then nothing. 
I've been so uh, I've been really impressed with uh, Derek White. I thought he'd be a decent NBA player, but I didn't think he would be this. He's he's been playing really well. He's kind of rounding into form here. I feel like you know here over this last stretch, um, he's been really impressive and critical for them. I I like Forbes too. He's I think he's been playing pretty yeah. well, and uh, he kind of reminds me of like a, a young Danny Green, would, you know, kind of like developing to that three and D type player. Would Derek White be nearly as good if he was anywhere besides San Antonio? I I would say yes. I mean, I I was really high on him. Uh, San Antonio is a good place for him, don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying that in 30 teams out of 30, he would have been developed that way. But he was uh, a guy in college that could do a bunch of things with the ball in his hands. Uh, very good mechanics in terms of shooting and quick release. And he's smart. He is really smart. He's a guy that screens, that, that sets screens, even if it's a point guard, if he's a point guard. And so, I mean, those kind of guys, ha- if healthy, they they usually make it in the league. And so I was I was kind of too high on him um, during the draft process. Um, I, I, as of today, I would not draft him instead of Terrence Ferguson. Uh, and um, last year, I thought the opposite. So... Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was really high, and I think that uh, there is a decent chance that he develops even elsewhere. Yeah, he's also got um, he's got some good size as well for mm-hmm. for six a point four, guard. Six so yeah. I do think we've talked about it. You know, not every team's development staff is the same, and it certainly makes a difference. You see a guy like Jeremy Grant and the the strides that he took with the Thunder versus what was happening in Philadelphia. And I think that Derek White would definitely be good elsewhere, but whether he'd be as good now or as good as he could be, I think is is probably not the case because the Spurs are just, they're so good at developing guys and kind of getting the most out of what they have. Oh, yeah, I agree. With that, I agree. So not only is Russ kind of rounding into form to what he did to what he looks like when he, you know, not, not what he looked like when he had his MVP, but definitely he's certainly serviceable. And another person that's kind of rounding back into form, which would they he has done all year, is PG. He looked like the MVP candidate for like a large part of the year, and then all of a sudden he has the shoulder stuff. Uh, some people want to say it's a torn rotator cuff, but it's not confirmed by anybody. And then he, of course, is you know has like a five game stretch where it's not doing so hot. And then over the last couple of games, he's really looked like himself. And um, like just the other night on Thursday, he had his 735.5 rebound, five assist game. And there's only one other. Uh, KD only had one night like that with the Thunder where, you know, he had more. So it's just, is Paul George rounding back into form to what he needs to be for him and Russ to have a successful playoff run? I think I think if uh you know his, I don't think his defense ever took a drop after the shoulder injury. Uh, whenever he got back, I thought his defense was its its typical self and it was offensively where he was struggling. Um but the past couple of games, uh we've we've seen the shot kind of start to return. We've seen him get a little bit more comfortable from that three-point line and that is exactly what they need. And so yeah, I I think He's he's finding his groove again. He's finding the shooting touch again, and that is exactly 
what he needs because I think everything else from his game has remained consistent. Um, shooting is the most inconsistent thing in basketball. And uh, if he can get that going again, uh, he's he's perfectly fine. I agree. And another thing, you know, actually kind of uh, Nick was in charge of our account for the Pacers game. And I was kind of tweeting back and forth with him a little bit. And he was, you know, talking about Russ and PG both kind of getting it going at the same time. And one thing that we've talked a lot about um, just Thunder Twitter and different Thunder podcasts in general have have talked about now that, you know, Russ finally has a going post-All-Star break. Yeah, they've got to find a way to be able to get Russ and PG both going at the same time. And I thought in that Pacers game, particularly that first half, like Russ had finally kind of found equilibrium between um, finding his shot, shooting. We, we talked about Russ. Um and, you know, and distributing really well. Meanwhile, Paul George still had it going. And then it turns out that maybe we needed Russ to score a little more. Um, so I'm really curious to kind of see. And also, like, at the end of the game, you know, I felt like Russ was really trying to defer to PG, and rightfully so. But honestly, it may not have been the right choice at that time. We saw, you know, they were smothering PG. It led to uh, a couple deflections. It led to a turnover or two. And, you know, maybe in that situation, it was better for Russ to take over. So I'm really kind of curious to, to watch them moving forward here during this last stretch of the season, these last couple of games and kind of see how they find that equilibrium and um, how they can kind of feed off each other. Because really, you know, when they're both playing at such a high level and are able to play off each other, uh, this team's going to be really dangerous. Yeah, I think that it's good for us to, uh, to defer. I know that it didn't work, but we know that Russ can take over. He doesn't... Yeah doesn't forget about like forget how to do so so it's good that he that he tried to 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 have pg being the hero in in indiana it didn't work doesn't matter it doesn't really matter and i think for that for pg uh seeing russ defer to him even if he was having a good night russ shooting wise i think it's important it's more important than get a win um, on the road in, in, in March. Uh, another point that I want to make on PG, it's the following. Uh, I was looking to the defense that Wes Matthews was doing on, on PG. And more often than not, Wes had to leave um, a little bit of room for PG to, um, to, to prevent his driving. Because we know that this season, PG is driving way more and it's way more efficient. And when you have a sore shoulder... It bothers with your shot, but it bothers also through the contact. Yeah, like these are these guys are massive. Like if you if you have to make room for yourself with your shoulder, and that shoulder is not responding or, or it's hurting, that prevents you to be ah. as effective. And so, yeah, the shooting was off, but also the driving was off for that reason. And so it it is normal. I mean, your body hurts whenever you are doing any anything on the court. And so um, I wasn't really worried uh, about him getting back to form whenever the injury um, was passed. My my issue was, well, what the thing what, what I was uh, worried of was if that injury was serious, serious enough to bother him more. And it doesn't seem the case. But um, we need to see. Uh, th- the fact that he was able to do such a uh, great offensive performance on uh, on a back to back is actually. Um, a good sign. Yeah. I think you bring up a great point too about, I wonder how much of the, just kind of the pain and the, the injuries he's had in his shoulder from driving into the lane has kind of led to his frustration with the officiating lately. You know, he's been mm-hmm. very vocal about it. He got a hefty fine, uh, tossed his way 
for his post-game comments, but I feel like, you know, if he's feeling pain and he's getting all that contact when he tries to drive in and he doesn't feel like he's getting the whistle enough, that's going to lead to some obvious frustration because, you know, he's taking a physical toll for that. It's not just that he's not getting free throws. It's that he's getting beat up and he kind of wants, you know, he wants his retribution a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Definitely. And as someone who's who's gone through shoulder issues before, um, I can I can definitely attest to that, that uh, uh, really it, it's not just the motion of the shoulder. You know, it's uh, bumping into people like driving in the lane and stuff. You know, the just the contact on the shoulder itself makes it really sore as well. So I, I could definitely see um, see where that could be a, a little bit of an issue as well. But if if Paul George can get back um, offensively to to where he's been all season, uh, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. So, let's talk about something that isn't fine. <laughs> That's a good segue. <laughs> that was that was good. Oklahoma's good at this. Oklahoma City, they finally get their endorsement, and many of us have thought, all right, it's going to be probably one of two. I definitely, for me personally, I thought it was going to be Loves, but I I definitely thought, and I think a lot of people agree, it was going to be either an energy company like Sandridge or something, or, or you've got. Or you've got Sonic, which is the headquarters. is literally right down the road. <laughs> or <laughs> that was loves, never going to happen. Loves travel stop. So yeah, the Sonic wouldn't make any sense because that would just proverbially p- piss off the Sonics fans. In, It'd be uh, funny though up, up up there in the Pacific Northwest. So Sonic's probably out the door. Mikey, I know that uh, that you came to Oklahoma City last year. Did you ever eat Sonic? Uh no. Did you no, ever? No, I, I probably a good choice, buddy. <laughs> I, 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 I was, I was going to really... say there's <laughs> no. The, the only the only places that I visit because I was there like for two and a half days. Yeah. Uh, were uh, Republic with with the man Cats and his apartment. So <laughs> like we spent like a ton of time working. <laughs> then uh, I was in the in the building for two nights. So no. Um, Hey, Republix is pretty good, though. It is pretty good. Eh? Yeah. I, I do yeah, like yeah, Republix. Yeah. It's better than Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trust yeah, me, you, d- you didn't miss out anything uh, not eating at Sonic. Yeah. They don't even have a restaurant. You sit in your car and eat it. Yeah. It's garbage. Cheap bastards. <laughs> they're tater tots, though. Yeah, their tater tots are pretty good. Yep. They don't have good ice cream, though. <laughs> not, True. Not a fan of their Pete, ice cream. Like, Mikey, there's a reason why people go to Sonic just for the drinks and not the food. Yeah, Sonic Sonic wow. is notoriously known. You go there to get a drink because their drinks are cheap, um, okay. not like alcoholic it's drinks. Like cherry lime like, and stuff yeah, you get like, like a cherry lime or, or, yeah. or a coke with uh, with some vanilla in it. Yeah, uh, stuff oh. like that. Um, but tip, people that, typically that's don't eat their not food. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we totally just ruined any chance of getting a sponsorship by Sonic for the podcast. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Mike, did you ever go to a Love's Travel Stop while you were here? <laughs> no. Okay, no, no. you didn't miss out much on that either. Um, <laughs> unless you like Godfather's Pizza, then maybe you missed out. Um, no. So, I guess according to Royce, the Thunder's deal with Love's to put the patch on the on the jersey is one of the ten uh, like wealthiest deals in the league. I hope so. So at least they're I getting they money paid, because I hope they paid per inch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
That's what she said. Um, I knew that was coming. <laughs> that, that's also what she said. Okay. Um, the patch looks so bad, guys. It does. It does. It, like, the yellow in the background it, it just clashes. It's ugly. It's big. It just it doesn't look good. I, so here's the first thing that came to mind for me. It's the color. It's the bright yellow. Yep. Especially like it looks very, very, very slightly better on the association and icon uniforms because they actually have like a tiny bit of yellow in the trim. But the other three jerseys have no yellow in them. And what it makes me think of is I don't know if you guys remember the Nets. The Nets were one of the earlier teams to get a jersey ad, and they were sponsored by Infor. And when they first debuted it, it was a giant red square. And so you think about the Nets. Everything's black and white. So they have this big (laughs) red square on their uniforms. It looked ridiculous. Now, the good news is, and what gives me hope, is the Nets only kept they unveiled i think they they signed their sponsorship deal in february so somewhat similar time frame to what the thunder have right now by that summer they changed the patch from a big red square to a white square and it instantly improved it it's still a giant square on the jersey but at least it doesn't stand out and so that's my hope for the thunder is that they'll have this big ugly yellow thing for the rest of the season maybe and then maybe they'll go back and realize what a mistake they've made and recolor it to be done in thunder colors. Cause I think that would help immensely. I agree. It's also very big and clunky. Yep. You know, the, the, the loves patch is, is very big, very clunky. And, uh, I mean, and what's crazy is they made, that's not been, that's not a loves logo. Like obviously the hearts and the, the word mark and stuff are loves logos, but like that layout was specifically made for the patch. So like they, <laughs> They did it on purpose, and it's just so ugly. I mean, what represents Oklahoma more than a truck stop loves being that massive? <laughs> on the I'm I'm even surprised they didn't put loves just like like screw Russ, Russell Westbrook's name on the back. Just put loves over the back for the nameplate and just leave it as that. That'd be funny. Um, you know, I would think uh, I'd prefer to get Bucky's Bucky's. You know. I'm ne- I've never been him. to a Bucky's. Oh actually. my gosh! Um, Get some beaver nuggets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mikey's so confused right now. I know. <laughs> I was gonna say. Yeah. So Bucky's is a huge, uh, huge gas station Can down in store. like Texas area, right? Yeah. Convenience store. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. it's weird, man. Like Texans it's are fun. just they're weird folks. Yeah. Um, I do think <laughs> it would have been funny though if Russ had a patch that said "Love" on it. As he told the Utah fan that he was going to f him up in their white <laughs> too, <laughs> that, that would have been pretty ironic. Yeah, yeah, that's it, true. It's, it looks really bad. What <laughs> 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 can Like we have, as you know, we are big on soccer. Well, not me, but here in Italy and Europe in general, we are big on soccer. And if you see like the Champions League, which is the main competition out there. Like the jersey are awesome, and they all have like big, way, way bigger sponsorship on them, and they are they are awesome. Like I don't know how you can you can create a logo like that with that yellow. I mean, I I, right. I see that the, the website has the same yellow, so they they may want that color themselves, not not the thunder. At least I hope so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, it's it's not great. The hearts the hearts are okay. 
the the writing are okay, I think, but that yellow background it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it clashes so much. Uh, so I hope the Thunder got a very hefty payday from Love's Travel Stop. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah it seems so. It seems so. <laughs> help pay some of that luxury tax bill. But anyways, that sponsorship basically paid for Markeith Morris. It did. It did. But something yeah. that could get even more ugly than the <laughs> pack on their jerseys is tonight's game, primetime, Oklahoma City versus the Golden State Warriors. It uh, looks like Kevin Durant is questionable. Uh, Steve Kerr yesterday on the radio. Kevin Durant's always been a questionable person. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Steve Kerr said yesterday on the radio that it was not likely that Kevin Durant would suit up for the Warriors. That being said... Because he's going to suit up for the Thunder. What did the Thunder <laughs> have to do to win this game? Uh, Mikey, let's start with you. Uh, what, what do you think, if you had to make like a... Like your Michael Cage keys to the game um, for tonight. What what do the Thunder have to do uh, to pull out a victory? First, I'm slightly offended uh, about the. Year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, Michael uh, the, is the Michael better. Cage thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what he, I'm going to say, he's... partner. That's nasty. <laughs> He's, he's improving uh, slowly, but um, <laughs> yeah. So keys of the game. I think that the first one is how you, you play the pick and roll coverage. Um, the, the whole point of OKC not dropping the big is to be able to be effective against Golden State. And um, because when you bring the big high on the pick and roll, you, you want to prevent the, the pull up three. And it worked against Portland. It did against uh, the Jazz. But to be able to do that against Golden State is a totally another story. Um, even with Houston, uh, it actually worked. But it's easier because in the corner, you have a guy like uh, P.J. Tucker, which is great from the corner, but it's still P.J. Tucker. With the Warriors, they base the entire offense on, on uh, shooters that can space the floor and on the fact that they have two if not three of the best shooters of the game. So to be able to run consistent play of uh, pick and roll defense throughout the game would be important. The second is, is Steven Adams able to, to be a mismatch against Golden State? Uh, can, he, can he be effective against Boogie Cousins, which is, who is not uh, himself yet? Um, and um, so that to me is important because if Steven can be a factor, not just in... Uh, from the scoring, uh, from a scoring perspective, but even uh, a rebound perspective, Golden State is always—it's not always a great uh, rebounding team, and so Stephen can be big on that. And the third point, let's see—is um, PG going to to overpower KD in case he plays? Um, in the last, in one of the matchups, he really destroyed KD, and um, if he can do that, I think that obviously he has a legit chance to play a great game tonight. I think uh I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think it's going to be going to be pretty interesting. Um I so I know I I don't have stats in front of me. I know for a long stretch this season Draymond Green has not shot the ball well at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think if, if Jeremy Grant can can sag off of Draymond a bit and defend um I'll defend Boogie. The, the defend more the 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 passing lanes, I think that'll be huge. 
Also, you touched on the fact that, you know, the, the pick and roll defense where the big comes up high uh, to prevent the guard from getting the corner and, and getting downhill or the pull up three. Um, obviously, the detriment of that is that, and we, the Thunder see this a lot against Portland, is that the big, uh, the offensive big rolls free down the lane and then it becomes the job of the backside to rotate. And so when guys like Jeremy Grant rotate to to the big rolling down the lane, it leaves the corner open. And so, like, there has to be a second rotation and a third rotation. Uh, like you said, Golden State has some elite shooters. So I think also those those rotations have to be very, very crisp uh, in order for, for the defense to be effective. Uh, really any night, but especially against a team like Golden State that uh, with one or two passes – uh, against that rotation can find a wide open Clay Thompson. They they have to have the rotations down very very crisp if they want to uh, if they want to prevent Golden State from getting into a rhythm and doing what they like to do. You know, and I don't have numbers in front of me. I just saw this here a couple of days ago on Twitter, but uh, I guess Steph is actually going through a little bit of a shooting slump right now, which is interesting. Which means he's inevitably inevitably going to like erupt for forty plus points for, against us tonight. But. Um, I thought that was interesting. I think he's only shooting like thirty something percent from three post All Star break. That might uh, be making that up, I, but I how, can check that. How oh, awful is that? His <laughs> yeah, yeah. Steph's shooting slumps are like thirty eight percent from three. It's like you yeah, know. it's like average. <laughs> yeah, his shooting slump is like a slightly above average percentage league wide. He is shooting thirty six point six percent after. All okay, Star yeah. Break. yeah. On thirteen, <laughs> so on thirteen average. attempts. God, wow. <laughs> Yeah, how awful is that? Your point guard shooting thirty-seven yeah. percent from three. <laughs> yeah, State. and green green is at a thirty point four. Wow, that's actually a little bit games. better than what I. Th- oh yeah, because yeah, uh, I think for the season he's he's not. Oh good. yeah, it's twenty-four. God yeah. dang, yeah, that's yeah. that is not good at all. So it'll be interesting. So who are the key players in this matchup tonight against the Warriors? I know that I mentioned Steven, but now that I um, give it a deep thought, um, I think that Terrence Ferguson being able to stay on the court for 35, 30 minutes plus would be the key tonight. If he's up to like five fouls uh, early in the third, it's going to be tough. Because yeah. if there is a guy who can stay with, with Clay on screens, or at least try to stay with Clay on screens, it's Terrence. There's no way. Dennis will be able to uh, to be effective, and if it if even if he is uh, able to stay with him on, on on screens, Clay is so tall that he will shoot over him. Yep. So exactly, I Terrence think, will be extremely important. I think maybe not a player, but I think the two benches uh, will be incredibly significant, especially if Kevin Durant doesn't play tonight. Um, I think uh, Golden State. Once you get to their bench, they have a lot of not great players. And so, for instance, Golden State will probably uh, throw out Jarebko at the four. Uh, I think guys like Markeith Morris can probably have their way with him. Uh, so so I think the Thunder bench will play a big role tonight. I think uh, the Thunder bench outscoring Golden State bench and, and doing that pretty significantly could also be a, a pretty big factor in this game. I think I think a couple of big players would be Terrence Ferguson, Dennis Schroeder, but also Jeremy Grant. Those are the guys I'm going with because I think Grant can have a big game. 
Schroeder has to have he's got to score more than 10 points and then yeah because if Schroeder doesn't score the ball it, he doesn't do a whole lot else yeah. on the court uh to make an impact and then Terrence Ferguson if he can hit you know a couple threes and like Mikey said just defend clay without fouling that would be huge because I mean who's on who's on Golden State's bench besides Iguodala who's getting kind of up there in age and then that, so I haven't watched a whole lot of Golden State, but they don't even play Sean Reb, Livingston Rebko, much anymore, do they? Yeah. they? They play Quinn Cook more often, I feel like. Yeah, yep. They play a lot of Quinn yep. Cook. They play a lot of well, Iguodala. I guess against Houston, he did have uh, Sean Livingston did have 18 minutes, which was the most most off the bench. But I think you're right for the most part. They pretty much have gone with Cook. Um, he had 12. Yeah. So They have Cook. They have uh, Iguodala. They have Jonas Jerebko. And then some uh, guys that I don't Bell. really know about. Yeah. Yep. Oh, they have yep. Jordan Bell. Yeah. Bell and Looney, basically. Yep. Kevin, I feel like when you look on. when you look back at the last time these two teams met, I think you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about the bench unit. It's when those guys that aren't, you know, consistently good players, when they play well, it makes Golden State hard to beat because that's probably one of their biggest weaknesses is their depth. So when the depth shows up, it makes them it makes them a tough out. And so the Thunder bench is going to have to play well to prevent guys like Jarebko and Looney from from having big games. And then I totally agree on Terrence Ferguson as well. Uh, you look back, go all the way back to the first matchup really early in the season, which is when you know everyone was trying to run Terrence Ferguson out of town. He was not playing well. I thought the Golden State game was one of the few games where he actually played well. I thought he had good defense on Clay Thompson, and that was probably one of the only bright spots in the first you know few games of the season for the Thunder where Terrence Ferguson actually played well. So I think... You know the opportunities there for him against Clay Thompson to to continue to come out and have another big game. I that worries me a little bit too because you know as we know, um, Terrence sometimes has trouble like going around screens. That's kind of when he starts to get into foul trouble. And Clay is so crafty and and so good at at coming off those screens for a wide open shot. Clay I, takes that's something like, that worries me. Clay takes like four dribbles a game. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, coming off screen like coming off screens, getting open like for off, a, like off ball screens, off ball screens, off-ball screens okay. yeah. Yeah, sorry, no, not not driving to the rim. <laughs> he doesn't do that. <laughs> they're illegal screens if they're set by Draymond, but the league can't yeah, see it. That's true. Agreed. <laughs> okay, can, let can me, I can oh. I make a little a little trivia about Golden State? And yeah. you have to guess. Let's uh, do it. Can you guess how many players are above five hundred points for the Warriors? Oh, wow. Uh, above five hundred points. For the season. Huh. Oh boy. Let's all, go... let's all give a number and then and then Mikey will give us the answer. I'm gonna say two. Wow. I'm gonna say four. I'm oh, going I was with gonna... three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want to repeat anyone, so I'll say five. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How many is it? It's three. It's three. Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. Steph. Wow. Huh. I wasn't sure Shit. if it would be Steph or or Kevin because they had missed time, so I just said two. That's true. That yeah, is that's interesting. That is crazy. That is insane. Yeah, yeah. and the and the closest is um, Kevin Looney at four hundred. Oh wow, Draymond's wow. not even the closest. Thirty. Um, Three hundred and fifty-nine. Yeah. Oh wow. my gosh, is, that's not surprising. There's yeah, as a comparison, like OKC has five. That okay. is uh, yeah. Who's yeah, who's OKC's five? Russ, Paul. 
um, Schroeder, Jeremy Adams, and Jeremy. Yes, with Terrence as at uh, four oh five, being wow. the sixth. Wow. Okay, that's nice. more than I thought for Terrence, even. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. That's weird. That's yeah. weird. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably being like boogie over the last games is scoring um, mm-hmm. a bit, but yeah, I mean they are uh, extremely top heavy in terms of, of scoring. Definitely, definitely, and that's what uh, I, I don't want to get us too off track here. But that's why I think if if Kevin Durant does leave this summer, leave the Warriors, um, they don't have cap space, uh, they don't have depth, and you know, like so. They'll still be really good because they'll still have guys like like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and and you know Draymond or not Draymond Green, uh, Boogie Cousins probably leaves. So it just it becomes a very interesting dynamic there because they are definitely built top heavy. They're not built um, like even throughout the roster. So it kind of becomes it becomes fascinating. I wouldn't be so sure that Dre stays. I'm kind of sure about Clay uh, for weird reasons because I I don't think. That that Golden State flinches a second about giving Clay whatever kind of money he wants. Yeah. With yeah. with Ray with Ray I I don't know. Like, do you want to give Draymond 30, 30 plus minutes? Yeah, and the fact that he just signed with Clutch Sports, I think, is uh, is not something that the Golden State front office is overly excited about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you if you, you sign know. with Clutch, I think you're you're going <laughs> to get your money. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I definitely think that's interesting. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Andrew Schlecht who brought it up on a recent, maybe it was a, a down to dunk or a dream team. But um, the the when Serge Ibaka was going into the final year of his deal, uh, the Thunder flipped him uh, for younger pieces uh, to try to, to build around. I wonder if that's maybe in the cards for Golden State this summer going that's into true. Draymond Green's last year. Can they flip him? For for something uh, to try to uh, build out some of that depth. Who are they gonna flip him for? Who who wants a Draymond Green? Like, is Draymond Green as skilled as Serge Ibaka? I think that he can be uh, great for certain teams, not for every team. I would I would trade. Let, let me see the contrast. Yeah, he has like a full season at eighteen millions. I think I would try. Especially if KD leaves. Yeah. If he doesn't, no, you play it out. Uh, like there's no point. But yep. um, but if he doesn't, but if he leaves, then it really is an opportunity to say to 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 send him out because the contract isn't bad, and you can get uh, you can find a team like Phoenix who want who wants toughness, who wants a guy that can teach defense to to Aiden, and say, oh, well, let's see. Let's see how you, how it works with him with him here, and they can pay him because they don't have um, huge money except for Devin Booker. So I can see them go to that route uh, and try to to get assets for him. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. It's uh, I think Golden State has a very fascinating summer ahead of them. Oh yeah, yeah. So Oklahoma City Golden State Warriors tonight. Who gets the W in Chesapeake Energy? Taylor, let's start with you. Oh, 
I'm going to the game, so I'm just going to be biased and say OKC. <laughs> but really, I think I think uh, the Thunder are really going to be fired up for this one. They're going to come out and play it. Maybe the most complete game we've seen in a while. Meanwhile, uh, Golden State's really kind of been struggling, both from a chemistry standpoint um, and just kind of c- consistency, like we talked about, effort. Um, they're obviously going to show up tonight because it's a big game for them, just like they did against Houston earlier this week. But I like our chances. Justin? I'm also going to say the Thunder. Uh, We're so biased. I love it. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Three games ago, I said the Thunder would go 2-1 and this week, and the loss would be against the Pacers. That's true. So I'm I'm sticking to it. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to (laughs) say Russ is very, very excited for this game. Who who knows why? I don't know why Russ would be excited for this game. (laughs) And I could see him getting out of control pretty quickly. And so I'm gonna say, OKC. Let's say let's say Kevin Durant does play, or doesn't even play. I don't know. Regardless, I think OKC loses in a close one. Okay, Mikey, what do you got? Do I have to do this? You, I'm <laughs> go, I'm going to jinx it. So <laughs> okay, then, then choose Golden State. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't really work. <laughs> the jinx is only one way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever I say, it's probably going to be uh, uh, bad for OKC. So, I would say, let's see this. Um, if KD plays, uh, OKC wins. Oh, nice. I like it. I like, I like that it. too. Interesting. Okay, well, let's move on. We got one more thing left before we get out of here, and that is, we have a special pop culture minute. Uh, we haven't talked much about the Game of Thrones trailer since it came out. Was that like a week and a half ago now? Yep. Um, so we're not going to talk about the trailer though. Instead, what we are going to do, uh, especially since we have Mikey on the pod today is we are going to make a starting five basketball team. Each position has to be accounted for out of game of Thrones characters. And then we're also going to choose a sixth man. So six total players that are actually game of Thrones characters that we want to put on the court um, we don't want to spend too long on this, but basically what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll name a position. We'll go around and everyone tell me who your your choice is as a Game of Thrones character for that position. Um, Mikey, I'm going to start with you. Uh, which Game of Thrones character are you putting as your point guard? Um, I'm putting Daenerys Targaryen uh, because I think she's a good manipulator uh, of others. She She has dragons. I'm not sure... Can can she bring dragons to the to the to the floor? <laughs> uh, good yeah, yeah. Are they included? Hell, in I mean, yes? we don't have rules, so I'm going to say yes. Okay, um, <laughs> and I think she 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 gets the better uh, of the their like the other pl- players around her around her, and she can even like being bossy uh, with other players. So I think she's good at point guard. Yeah, quality leadership. Kamiar, who's your point guard? Brandon Stark, because he can see the plays before can they happen. See it all, he yeah. There you go. Oh, that, that's my coach in front of him. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh that's, that's good. I was thinking being a good coach. Yeah. Taylor, who's your point guard? I went with uh, kind of a similar answer to Daenerys. But I went Jon Snow because he's even though he's short, he's strong, quick, battle tested. He's a proven leader, and spoiler alert, he has good genes. Oh, okay, very good. <laughs> uh, Justin, who's your point guard? I'm going with Arya Stark. I think her footwork is unparalleled. I kind of see her as like the Kyrie Irving comparison. So I think she'd be a, she'd be an, a tough one to guard. 
Yep, I I went with Arya Stark as well, also uh, because she is a certified killer. Um, people uh, people do not want to go up against her. Okay, Mikey, who's your shooting guard? Uh, you spoiled basically my shooting guard uh, oh. with Arya. Uh, <laughs> she's so skilled. They really want shooting guard with uh, with shooting uh, and with um, skill all over the place. I think Arya um, is good, and it's he. She's even deceptive, and so. I think she's a good, um, uh, she's a good player at the um, shooting guard spot. Maybe a tad undersized, but um, I would, <laughs> I would trust her, uh, her skills. Very good. Kamir, who's your shooting guard? Well, I'll just go by the wings. I'll, I'll talk about my shooting guard and the small forward, and uh, it'll be John and Daenerys because they're both Targaryens and they both have the ability to have dragons, which also have wings. So I'm going to ride oh, okay. John and Daenerys <laughs> on the wings, on the wings of their dragons. Okay, very <laughs> nice. Taylor? So I went with uh, the Night King because that javelin throw in Season 7, he obviously has like unlimited range, plus he's really good at defense, as we've seen uh, during his battles. Very nice, very nice. Justin? My shooting guard is Braun. I think uh, Braun, we know he's he is a certified killer. And I think I see him as kind of like the Jimmy Butler because he's not afraid to to call his own teammates out and let them know what he thinks. And I think you need somebody on a team that can hold your guys accountable. Nice. Nice. All right, Mikey, who is your small forward? Well, since I have like already talent, I want someone who I can rely on and can be like disciplined enough. And so and it can provide some defense. So I got I got the gray worm. Uh, for for that spot, I, I can trust him with my uh, with my life. So that's a good one. Mikey. That is why I choose him. Yeah, I like one. that one a lot. He's kind of your uh, your consistent. Um, yeah, kind of like exactly. your effort guy. Exactly, Perfect. exactly. Perfect. Even keeled, calculated guy. Yeah, yeah that's good. Come here, who's your? Oh, you, you already gave us your wing. Yep. Uh, Taylor, who's your small forward? Uh, I went with Melisandre because she can really catch fire. <laughs> I hate you so many, so many dad Oh, but uh, but she takes she, that crown she, off. And she's she's kind of like Serge Ibaka. Is she young or is she actually like forty? Oh my god! <laughs> what the hell? That's so true. Um, that Justin, uh, Justin, who's your who's your small forward? My small forward is Jack Nagar. Uh, I see him as the like Kawhi Leonard of the team. He's quiet, he's calculated, but uh, he gets the job done. All right, very good. Uh, Mikey, power forward. So this will be a controversial choice, uh, but I got there Jamie Lannister because I want another shooter, another skill guy, um, a guy who is perceived as a bad guy, but in the end he will be uh, great for my team, and so that's my choice of power forward. Is this two-hand or one-hand, Jamie? I don't care. He can, he can shoot it both. <laughs> Very good. Uh, call me like our who's your power forward? <laughs> well, just like the wings, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna clump my power forward and my center uh, together because it just makes sense together. So I'm building an old school NBA team, and this is before my coach, by the way. Um, I'm gonna go with the Hound and the Mountain. These brothers as the twin towers. As your front court. As my front court. I thought of. I thought about that. Very that makes good. it's like Pistons. 04 yes. Pistons style. Yep. Hey, it's kind of like the current Pistons. You got uh, Blake Griffin and uh, Drummond. Taylor, who is your power forward? So I actually went with a character that probably a lot of people won't think of. I went with Ghost. 
who I hope we see in this next season uh, because he's aggressive. He's big bodied. Uh, he's a big guy, but he's still quick and it would be a solid stretch for Okay, like very good. Justin? Violent air bud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my that's power forward is Brienne of Tarth. Oh, that's a good pick. Yeah. My comparison here, she's she's going to be my Sabonis, uh, not just because of the blonde hair, but big body. Uh, I think she's got a strong skill set, good footwork, good hands. I think she, she rounds this team out well. Very good. All right. Center, Mikey, who are you going with? Yeah, I, I was very, very torn on this one, uh, but in the end, I choose Sandorkel again. I mean, I just want the, the most, the beast out there. He, he just have to destroy uh, the other team, and so I was half and half behind the, him and Carl um, Drogo. But in the end, I went with the with the savage Sandorkel again. Very good, Kamiar. Who's yours? Oh, you, you already said your your front court are, are is the brothers. Very good, uh, Taylor. So I, I did something similar. I went with the mountain. I think, yeah. Justin, did you go with the mountain as well? I did not. Oh. Uh, I'm going to pull a Kamiar, and I'm going to give you my center and my sixth man at the same time. Okay. So for center, I'm going with Hodor. Hodor. But I'm only going with Hodor. That's good. Because <laughs> Bran is my sixth man. So Bran's going to be sitting on the bench just warging into warging Hodor, into him. making him a beast on the inside. That is incredible. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's really good. That's really good. Um, I didn't even think of Call Drogo as my center. Um, so basically, I'm having Stephen Adams as my center. Um, yeah, which which works out perfectly. Uh, sixth man, Mikey. Who's your sixth man? So uh, I think I'll go there with uh, Jakina Carr because since he can sh- can change shape and and body he can basically play for any of my t- any of my uh spots so that's he can perfect. take whatever shape that is i love good. that uh call me our six man is my six man is the night king because when everything else is dead literally your starting lineup sucks this guy can come in and drop 30 points like Lou Will or Spencer Dinwiddie and make everything right again. So six man is a night king. Nice. Taylor? Um, so I really like hot pie for the – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dude, I love hot pie. <laughs> I do too. He's such a good character. Um, I, I put Arya down because I feel like she's just so – like you guys said, she's so versatile that you really just need her on your team contributing in uh, some form. You kind of see her being the Dennis Schroeder of, of my Game of Thrones team here. Justin? You got mine. It's Bran. Yeah, Bran. Um, I don't know who my sixth man is. I didn't give it much thought. I'll tell you my coach if you'd like to hear it. Okay. We know Mikey's coach is Bran. Who's your coach? My coach is Hodor, and he has to scream his name like Tom Thibodeau screams out things to his players. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. I like it. Um, I think Danny or John would make a good coach as well. Um, Yeah. If Tywin Lannister was still alive, he'd be a good coach. Maybe Tyrion is my coach. Oh, there you yeah. go. I'd be on the bench with whores and wine. So hey, I'm my coach is Davos. Hey, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. I'm a big uh, Davos fan. Oh my gosh, I hate myself because I'm going blank. Who it? Tormund. Uh, I think Tormund is going to be my sixth man. Tormund, Giants, Bane. I do enjoy okay. enjoy Tormund quite a bit. Um. All right, last Game of Thrones question. I'm throwing a random one at you before we guys get before we all get out of here. Um, first character, first main like big plot character to die in the final season. Call me our 
Cersei Lannister, 100%. Okay, Taylor? Oh, if we're going to major characters, I'm going to say Jamie. Wow, okay. Justin? Sansa. Ooh, uh, that's an interesting one. Mikey, who's the first person to die in season eight? Season eight. Eight. With my heart full of sadness, I think it will be Arya, and I will throw my remote to the TV. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, true. I'll have to buy a new television if Arya dies because Arya is my favorite character. Um, no, I'm going to say. Mine as well. Uh, I don't think he's a plot character, but I think the first one to die is going to be uh, a tag team of Grey Worm and Missandei. Okay, yes, yeah. If we're, sorry, you don't, you if, don't if get we're to, not doing main characters, I'm with you. You don't sure. get to kiss in the trailer uh, yeah, and, then li- and then live through the season. Um, exactly. The world just doesn't work like that. Or maybe Tormund. You mentioned Tormund. And, um, no, Tormund makes uh, it to the end. Yeah, they're both running from the like the wall collapse. They're all like running right now. Tormund they, makes they it to the dead. end. Don't tell me otherwise. <laughs> I do love his character. He loves Brienne. Also, Braun has to live, or I'll be very sad. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, and get out of here because we've been podcasting for a while. Um, Want to give a big thanks to Mikey again. We really appreciate you coming on with us today, man. Um, if you don't follow Mikey already, he is on Twitter at Mikey Barra. Uh, he always posts post game, like little post game threads on Twitter, where he talks about his thoughts, and they're they're one of my favorite things to look forward to after a Thunder game win or loss, uh, because they are great, great insight. So, Mikey, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you. Well, thank you for all the uh, nice things that you said, and it was really a pleasure uh, for me to doing this. And so, that's that's great. Awesome. We'll have to we'll have to try to get you on again, uh, maybe before the playoffs, and we can give like a little playoff prediction podcast as well. Um, we will be back with you guys again tonight, actually, after the Golden State game for a quick post game pod. So make sure you are tuned in for that. Uh, I think that's all I got. You guys have a great weekend. Thunder up, and let's see what happens with this Golden State game. See you guys. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.